first memory of Whitney Houston was her guest appearance on the TV show Silver Spoons. Okay? She played a best friend's girlfriend and at the end of the show she performs at this club and Ricky Schroeder's in the background and she does this piano version of Saving All My Love and she completely steals the show. Whitney grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and her mom was Sissy Houston, okay, a noted gospel singer. Sissy Houston sang backup vocals for Elvis Presley, okay, so mom could sing too. And Whitney got her start in developing her voice at New Hope Baptist Church in her hometown, uh, singing her heart out for Jesus with the choir behind her in the congregation before her. In elementary school, she was teased for having too light of skin or too long of hair, okay? She never quite fit in, but she always had the church. And she was offered her first recording contract at the age of 14, but her mom rejected it because she wanted her daughter to finish school first. Uh, Whitney was a model before she was a singer. Uh, she was one of the first women of color to ever grace the cover of Seventeen magazine. At 19, uh, famous music producer Clive Davis offered her a worldwide recording contract, and the rest, they say, is history. In 1985, Whitney's self-titled debut drops her single, How Will I Know, and it becomes a number one. Uh, and the video of this song introduces Whitney to the MTV generation. Uh, making her the first African-American female artist to receive heavy rotation on MTV. Uh, her first album, she wins a Grammy. Two years later, she releases her second album, wins another Grammy. Okay, this was the album with I Wanna Dance With Somebody. Okay, is it not the best dance song of all time? Okay, you can't be stoic or even calm when you listen to this song, okay? Even if you don't have rhythm, it's gonna make you move. Okay. Now, at this point in her career, she's a megastar, okay? She can't get any better and she can't get any bigger. And then in January of 1991, the United States enters the Gulf War. Our entire nation was uneasy. Our nation was fearful. And the next week, Whitney Houston is invited to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Okay, first of all, she walks up wearing a jumpsuit. Okay. She knew it wasn't a time, the moment didn't demand glitter and glam, no, but something patriotic, something calm, soothing. She intentionally changed the beat of the song and made it a bit slower. And then... <laughs> the anxieties of a nation at war. Her version of the Star Spangled Banner was so touted that it was later released as a single and became the only version of the song to ever be certified platinum. And then, after 9-11, 
uh, her rendition of the Star Spangled Banner claimed the number one spot again on the singles chart, okay? Just when you thought that she couldn't get any bigger, she heals the nation with her voice at one of the biggest TV events of the decade. And now you can't top that, right? Like this little Jersey girl that her family still called Nippy, no way she can get any bigger. There's nothing left to do. And then... If I should stay... It's like you can't even talk during this song. I would only be in your way so I'll go but I know I'll think of you every step of the way I will always love you this song written by Dolly Parton, but it was made for Whitney. The song was created in 1973, but the song found its fulfillment in 1994 with Whitney Houston from the Bodyguard soundtrack, okay? Her voice is perfection. It's flawless. There's almost something magical about the way she does this song. It has been said that I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston is the most perfect vocal recording of all time. And it is with this song that she enters another stratosphere of fame. Whitney had a lot of problems, particularly the second half of her life. Her songs never delved into the darkness of her life. They never dove into the depths. They weren't scorched earth, okay? Her songs weren't about the disarray that comes with addiction. There was no darkness in her music. And so when the world began to see darkness in her life, it rattled everyone, okay? It made everyone uncomfortable. And it made the press focus more on her issues. Whitney Houston did an interview with Oprah in 2009. And Oprah kept saying, your voice is a national treasure. Your voice is a national treasure treasure. And every time she said it, it was as if Whitney would recoil next to her. Like, like there was this internal struggle, okay? I'm just me, and the, and the weight of being what everyone wants me to be or thinks that I am has been too much to bear. Even as her career began to skyrocket, she had these insecurities. Am I thin enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I black enough? Am I light enough? The beauty criticism, it, it wrecked her, okay? Your nose is too broad, your skin is too light, your skin's not light enough. She was scrutinized again and again. Whitney said this, in grammar school, some of the girls had problems with me. My face was too light, my hair was too long. It was the black consciousness period, and I felt really bad. I finally faced the fact that it wasn't a crime not to have friends. When I decided to become a singer, my mother told me I'd be alone a lot. Loneliness comes with life. Whitney Houston died on February 11th, 2012, at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Personally, I think she was the greatest singer of all time. So much has been made about the second half of her life, 
her troubled marriage, her struggle with addiction, and the darkness that clouded her. So much of her struggles were rooted in identity, who she was, who she thought she was, what other people wanted her to be. This whirlwind cycle uh, in the heart and mind of Whitney. How you think about yourself matters. Proverbs 23, verse seven, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is a photo of Victor Sabriakov. Uh, Victor was 15 years old when his teacher told him that he would never finish school, that he should just drop out and learn a trade. And so he took that advice. And for the next 17 years, he was an itinerant doing a variety of odd jobs. He had been told that he was a dunce. And so he acted like one. 17 years. When he was 32, something amazing happened. A transformation took place. An evaluation revealed that he was a genius with an IQ of 161. Guess what he started acting like? Yeah, he acted like the genius that he always was. Since that time, he'd written books, secured a number of patents, become a successful businessman. Perhaps the most significant event of his life was his election as the chairman of the International Mensa Society. The Mensa Society has only one membership qualification, an IQ of at least 140. Okay, he was the chairman. How you think about yourself matters. Where is your identity? Knowing who you are is so important because there are so many messages that lead us to a false sense of value, a false sense of self, and that affects our hearts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a woman thinketh in her heart, so is she. I read a survey asking women in America if they had the choice of becoming incredibly beautiful or being incredibly smart. An overwhelming majority said that they would prefer to be beautiful. Someone said that the average woman would prefer to have beauty over brains because men can see better than they can think. There is this unhealthy focus on looks and it started in grade school and then it ran through high schools and then it still affects us today. I was reading an article last week uh, about a magazine where the actress, Michelle Pfeiffer, okay, Michelle Pfeiffer, she, she, was, uh, she was in Dangerous Minds. Some of you might remember her from that. Okay, that was where Coolio came out with Gangster's Paradise. It's a great 90s movie. Okay, Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman before Anne Hathaway was Catwoman and Halle Berry, okay? She was on the cover of this magazine and it said, what Michelle Pfeiffer needs. And then at the very bottom, it said, absolutely nothing, okay? It's this beautiful picture of her. And it turns out, though, that she did need something, okay? A reporter got a hold of the touch-up artist's uh, bill for the, the cover of this magazine, the touch-up work that needed to be done to this photo. Uh, here it is. Uh, clean up the complexion, soften eye lines, soften smile line, add color to lips, trim chin, remove necklines, soften lines under earlobes, add highlights to earrings, add blush to cheek, clean up neckline, remove stray hair, remove hair strands on dress, adjust color and add hair on top of head, add dress on side to create better line, add forehead, add dress on shoulders, soften neck muscle a bit, clean up and smooth dress folds under arm, total cost $1,525. Perfection is not reality. Hollywood is not reality. Our value isn't in our appearance to others. 
Ian Pittman Watson said, there are some things that are loved because they are valuable. There are other things that are valuable because they are loved. Your value or your identity has nothing to do with how you look. For some of you, you look in the mirror and you cry because you don't fit what the world says is beautiful. And God is saying to you right now that I knit you together in your mother's womb, okay? You are my daughter, you are my son, you are beautiful, you are royalty. Don't listen to other voices, only God's. Your value or identity is not your appearance. Your value or identity is not your appearance. And if we say it enough times, perhaps we'll begin to believe it. For Whitney Houston, what people thought of her so greatly affected how she thought about herself. Her appearance was a false identity and her accomplishments is a false identity. Check out this amazing story in Luke 15. Luke 15, that's where we find the story of the prodigal son. But before that is the story of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The coin in this passage is referring to a drachma, which was a day's wage for a peasant worker. But this simple short story by Jesus raises some important questions, okay? Why was this coin so important to this woman? And why did Jesus say that it was one out of 10? Now, to discover answers to these questions, let's go back 2,000 years, okay? In first century Palestine, it was common for marriages that the groom would give the bride a necklace as a symbol of their covenant uh, that had 10 drachma on it, okay? 10 silver coins. It was sort of like a poor man's wedding ring. The 10 drachma weren't worth all that much, but they were silver, and if you kept them polished, they shined. It was a wedding ring. It was a seal of their covenant. So this woman loses one of the 10. Now you can understand why Jesus specifies that it was a woman that lost it and was searching, why he specifies that there were 10 coins, why he specifies that they were silver, and now we can see why she searches high and low to find this one, why she refers to it as my coin, like there's some personal relationship to it, and why she celebrates so mightily once she finally finds it. The meaning of this coin goes way beyond and in fact has nothing to do with its economic value. The coin represents her covenant with her husband. The coin represents their pledge to one another. The coin represents their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations together. You can't replace this coin. It's one of a kind, it's priceless. What Jesus is telling us is that we are that lost coin. You are that lost coin. God goes looking for you and that you are worth more than you can ever imagine. We are worth God turning the universe upside down to find us, and we are worth God becoming a human being and dying a hellish death on that old rugged cross to win us back. And that worth is not because we have good market value. No, no. The worth is entirely based on the meaning that we have to God. The meaning that we have to God is not affected by how gifted we are, how much we've accomplished, how good you are, how much money you have, how many times you've prayed today. You cannot improve upon your significance to God. You cannot improve upon your significance to God. That would be like the coin 
as the lady's looking for it, the coin tries to, to become a diamond, okay? The coin says, well, I'm a mere drachma, but I can look like a diamond. Look at me, I'm a diamond. No, no, we have intrinsic worth to God. Listen, God does want us to shine, but it's not so that we can acquire significance. It's to express the significance that we already have, okay? You were meant to shine, but not so that you gain significance to God. It's because you already are significant to God. Does anybody need to hear this? If you are feeling like you have to get yourself all cleaned up so that God will accept you, so that you'll have acceptance before him, you're wasting your time, you're already significant to God. And he has and will always continue to go to whatever lengths he has to, to show you his love. God longs for you and loves you not because you're good, but because he's good. And for Whitney Houston and for us, there's this ever-present temptation to think that once we get what we're longing for, well, then we'll be content. Then we'll be happy. Uncontentedness, this, this continual longing for that next thing. There's this amazing quote by the philosopher Jim Carrey. He said, I wish people got everything they ever wanted so they could see that that's not the answer. It's true for Jim Carrey. It's true for Whitney Houston. It's true for you and I. If I could just look like that person, then I'd be happy. If I could just have that amount of money, if I could just get this thing paid off, if I could just marry that person, fill in the blank. So with this mistaken identity, we find our worth and value in the pursuit of the next things. And even when we get it, there's always another thing after that. Or we use this as an excuse not to do anything. Well, if I was more like them, then I'd be somebody. God says, you already are somebody. Don't find your identity in trying to be someone or something else, no. We need to be content. Paul says that I have learned the secret to be content in and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's this ancient fable about a stonecutter. He uh, was out there in, in the woods uh, with his chisel and his, and his hammer and hammering away at this large rock. Then he heard in the distance a parade it was a kingly parade. So he rushes through the forest and he finds the dirt road and the king is being carried on this massive uh, chair and being paraded through all of the villages of his kingdom. There's trumpets sounding, people are celebrating and cheering for him. And after seeing this, the stonecutter retreats back into the woods and prays to God, God, if only I was a king like him, then I'd be happy. And immediately it was so. He became king. He was in a palace. He had a crown, a scepter. Uh, people bowed down before him. He was the most powerful ruler in the region. And now he said, finally, content, I am happy. Until there was a drought. And people from all over came and asked the king for help. And the king was absolutely powerless. The scorching heat from the sun 
has sapped his power as king. And so he fell to his knees, looked once again to heaven and said, Dear God, make me as powerful as the sun and then I will be truly happy. And immediately he was the sun. And as he shined his bright light and heat upon the earth, people sought shade to stay away from its sun. And as the sun, he was finally happy and content. Until one day, a cloud blocked his light from hitting earth. And no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much heat he displayed, how much light he shone, it couldn't penetrate this cloud that was showering the earth with its rain. And so he said, Lord, if only I was as powerful as that cloud, then I would be content. And immediately he was that cloud. And he reigned on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. People uh, uh, cowered at the weather. And as this massive, powerful cloud, he was finally content and happy until one day he flew over a huge granite rock. And no matter what he did to try and penetrate the rock, to create creases or rivers or streams through it, he couldn't. And he was so frustrated, he cries out to God again and says, if only I was as strong and powerful as this rock, then I will be content. And immediately he was this rock. And he said, finally, I am content. Now I am happy until one day a stonecutter arrives with a chisel and a hammer and the man says, if only I was a stonecutter, then I would be content and happy. What is it for you? What is that thing where you're like, if I, if I get that, I'll be happy? Spoiler alert, no you won't. There's always the next king. There's always the next sun. There's always the next cloud with rain. There's always the next rock. If you're not content without them, you will never be content with them. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I recently read an interview in which Nobel Prize winning author Toni Morrison was asked why she had became a great author. What books had she read? What method was the most helpful thing to her? And she laughed. She said, oh no, that's not why I'm a great writer. I'm a great writer because when I was a little girl and I walked into a room where my father was sitting, his eyes lit up. That is why I'm a great writer. That is why there isn't any other reason. You want to be great. You want to be content. Fall into the arms of the loving God whose eyes light up when you pursue him, when you step in the room. A God who will search for you, not for what you can do for him, but because you have unsurpassable worth. May we find our identity, 
not in how we look or what we have, but in whose we are. A God who will always love you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we find contentedness in today, that longing for tomorrow would not take away the joy from today. Help us in this, Jesus. Uh, God, thank you that we are so deeply and irrevocably loved by you. May we find our identity in that alone as your kids. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we continue week three of our vinyl sermon series, and we can't wait. It's also uh, our women's event, uh, September 11th, uh, from 5 to 7 at Bullard High School. We are getting donations to help be a blessing to a great organization in our city called City Without Orphans. And so you can find more information on how to be a practical blessing in our world through this project on our app or our website. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace, Jesus. Clock strikes upon the